gosh, we live in a beautiful country. Let's hang it up on our walls. There was that sort of pressure maybe that we were just putting on ourselves of needing to kind of keep up with the Joneses, whereas now we're like, well, we have all we need here. So we can afford to take those risks. We can afford to jump into our e-commerce startup and give it everything we've got. It looks like a zombie. It looks like a zombie pelican. You can't make the pelicans beat blue. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Every week, Nathan Bush from eSuite and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and director at e-commerce talent agency, eSuite. It's a busy time of year. And if you're anything like me, you would gladly swap the chaos of last minute Christmas shopping in a busy mall. I mean, are we really doing that? We're an e-commerce podcast. Well, you would gladly swap that for the fresh air of a bushwalk and the sounds of nature. My guest today, Edwina Cameron, committed to much more of a long-term tree change. Having got tired of keeping up with the Joneses in the suburbs, she and her family up sticks and moved to the rainforest. They built a shed in the garden and set up an online wall art business, as you do. With a particular focus on Australian nature, iHeart Wall Art offers a range of digital prints, canvases and framed artworks, some of which Edwina creates herself, even though she doesn't call herself an artist. They now employ two staff and are just about to open a showroom office space in the town of Mullaney on the Sunshine Coast. In this chat, we discuss the unique challenges of running a business from your own home, the best way to nail SEO for up-and-coming brands, and why a pelican's beak should always be yellow. Trust me. It makes sense when you listen. So thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Signet, here's our conversation with Edwina Cameron from iHeart Wall Art. Edwina, welcome to Add to Cart. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, excited to have you here. You're joining us from what looks like a massive backyard shed. It is. It is a very big backyard shed, although I think we realised as soon as the walls went up that maybe wasn't quite big enough for what we needed. It's one of those cases where, you know, by the time you've built it, it's sort of almost already outgrown it, but it's been fantastic. And it's about 10 metres, if that, from the back door of my house. So it's a pretty good place to come to work every day. It seems to be the story of 2020 and 2021 for so many people having, probably not in your situation, but warehouse moves upon warehouse moves, just outgrowing places. But you've come at it a little bit differently and created your own e-commerce setup in your own house. Can we start there? Yes. Yes. I mean, madness, actually, looking back <laughs> on it. Now, when I think about it all, yeah, look how our business started to grow, I think, really quickly as a kind of online homewares retailer with COVID and over last year grew quite quickly. And at the time, we were outsourcing the manufacturing of all of our pieces, but in one of our more kind of questionable decisions. No, not questionable, <laughs> but perhaps mad decisions. My husband and I made the call to uh, start manufacturing the stuff ourselves at the end of last year. How hard can yeah. it be? My husband, who's a nurse and could barely operate a power tool <laughs> at the time. So, yeah, so this year we built this large shed on our property 
got a, a large format printer, hired a team, and now manufacture uh, quite a lot of our pieces. We do still use some outsource manufacturing as well, but yeah, we've got a nice sort of balance of things that we produce here and things that we still do outsource. And when you're talking about manufacturing, what are you actually manufacturing? So we are a canvas and art print retailer and manufacturer. So when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about, well, we also do wallpapers and decals, but talking about print manufacturing, predominantly we print uh, our canvases here and we've got this workshop that I'm sitting in now is our sort of canvas stretching and framing workshop. So yeah, it's basically just kind of producing art pieces that we then ship all around the country. Beautiful. And when you say it was a questionable or mad decision (laughs) to go into manufacturing, what do you mean? Look, I think it's one of those decisions that you make, and this this is what I'm good at. I'm very good at making big, I want to say impulsive. I don't know if I'm quite impulsive because I do think them through, but I, I never quite think through the full, I think I'm just not scared of making big decisions. And usually my husband is the one who kind of rein me back in again he's the the voice of reason and quite pragmatic but for whatever reasons this time when I decided that learning the print and canvas manufacturing industry couldn't possibly be that hard and I'm sure we could do it he uh, didn't talk me back down off the ledge but just kind of went with it and we um, committed ourselves to sort of uh, yeah acquiring all the kind of materials and equipment which we've done sort of over this year Um, look it's been the, the reason I say it was a questionable decision is it's been quite stressful at times. I think, you know, if you're going to start learning manufacturing of the print print and framing industries, basically, maybe doing it in the middle of a pandemic while living in a regional area isn't the best time and place to do it. Like, Especially in a timber shortage. Exactly. That also <laughs> has not helped. Look, it's been a really steep learning curve and there's been moments where, you know, quite literally we've thrown our hands up in the air and sworn that we're never doing this again let's sell the business we both left our jobs luckily my husband who was a nurse uh, was able to get a new role as a sort of casual nurse which has meant has given us the ability I guess to kind of scale up and down with him his work kind of over the year as we've needed to but I left a job that I loved and was sort of steady and so there's definitely been moments I think fleeting moments overall we're really happy with what we're building here but there's definitely been moments this year where we have sat down and gone, what have we done? This was <laughs> crazy. But I think, you know, sometimes in life those big decisions that you make, you don't really understand how good they were or bad until you're right at the end of them. So, look, we're happy that we've done what we've done, but there's certainly been moments, particularly this year, I think, where it's been quite stressful and quite a steep learning curve for both of us. Founded in 1927, strand bags have been loved by Australians for decades. But with age comes baggage. Well, digital baggage to be precise. When COVID impacted their physical footprint, strand bags decided it was time to put it all on the table and renew their relationship with their customers. They went looking for their happily ever after with Shopify Plus. And so far, it's a beautiful match. Launching a new e-commerce site for Australia and New Zealand, Strandbag saw a 30% increase in conversion rate in Australia and, get this, 300% increase in conversion rate in New Zealand. Love is definitely in the air and across the ditch. 
To read more of Strandberg's story and see other case studies, visit the customer sections on shopify.com.au forward slash plus. How long has the business iHeart Wallart been in operation now? Yeah, so I started it a couple of years ago. At the time, I was working in communications within the conservation sector. So my background is in public relations, as we used to call it. It's now, you know, corporate communications. Sounds like PR spin. Yeah, it does, right? (laughs) Exactly. We rebranded ourselves. But more so, I think within the, I've worked a lot within the sort of not-for-profit and um, environmental movement um, and uh, sort of social justice. So I think that actually has set up quite well as it turned out it, because when you're working in sort of a lot of small organisations that may or may not have a lot of funding, you tend to have to learn to be a jack of all trades. When you work in comms, you have to know how to knock up a WordPress website and you have to know how to write an EDM. You have to know how to write a, a Facebook post that's engaging and how to be able to read the analytics at the end of it. And you're obviously not going to be really strong on all of those things, but I think you just need to have a sort of overarching understanding of how all of those pieces fit together. And I had started, you know, dabbling in building WordPress sites, you know, many years ago, started building a couple of dropshipping sites. I think back before everyone was building dropshipping sites and selling those. and then had this idea that I could build one with art because I thought, A, something that I was sort of interested in or, you know, more so the creativity in creating the pieces, but also from a purely sort of commercial perspective, if you've got something that's unique that no one else is offering, you know, no, you don't have to race to the bottom with price cutting or you, if you have something that is unique that people can't get anywhere else, you can charge you know the price that you want to charge and people will pay it so it made sense from that point of view I set up the website I started kind of creating the first series of works for the site just through sort of digital painting and then editing photos and yeah I just remember this is when we were still living in Brisbane saying to my husband I actually really enjoy this I think I think I'll keep this site and it sort of plugged away for six months or so yeah after that I think it was sort of actually after we moved out of town that I really made the decision to kind of run with it, which turned out to be about three months before COVID. So, yeah, I think all the timing just kind of lined up, I think, to, to, to really kind of kick off the business and, and, and run with it. It's interesting that point you make around starting with drop shipping, which is basically taking commodities and buying them cheap and then selling them a little bit higher. And then having that realisation that actually if I'm going to win at this, I need a unique product. Was that the lesson from dropshipping that made you abandon those sites? Yeah, look, I think I, I think the lesson from dropshipping was that I didn't really like it and I didn't feel, and I still to this day, I, I think I, I, it's not, no criticism of dropshipping. I think for a lot of people particularly it's a good way, myself included, to get started but I think for me as an ongoing model I felt like if I was really going to do this and make a living from this I needed to be value-adding in a way that was more than just kind of forwarding almost which is what sort of dropshipping felt like and I felt a bit some of the ethics around it I think felt 
questionable. I don't know. I think, yeah, look, I think dropshipping is actually a really useful way to um, get started and kind of learn the industry and the trade without spending a fortune in in kind of wholesale um, materials and things. But I think moving forward and, you know, particularly uh, the, the margins, if you are selling something that a whole bunch of other people are also selling, the margins aren't necessarily always going to be there. It's a really nice point, though, is that it's a great way to learn the marketing, the user experience, the customer service, all those pieces, without having to worry too much about product if you're not exactly, expecting Exactly, exactly. And I think to see what works and what doesn't. You know, if I'd have jumped into what I was doing a few years ago and gone and spent thousands of dollars on stock, I would have wasted really a lot of money because it's not until you really start doing it that you see what works and what doesn't um yeah you kind of hone your craft so yeah look in terms of um starting out I think it was an an excellent way to kind of get started but for me because I had never until this one I'd never kind of built the site with the intention of keeping them myself I was kind of building them and kitting them out and then selling them the ethical question I think came in more for myself personally because I thought Am I actually passing these on to people who are going to have the skills to, to be able to, to make a living from them? So I think doing it yourself and kind of getting in there at the ground and running it, yeah, is a, is a great way to learn e-commerce. Yeah, that makes sense. And so then take, taking us forward to iHeartWallArt, you, have you always sold your own artwork yourself? No, I haven't. And and even to this day, I feel really uncomfortable when people describe me as an artist, which I, I know is some weird. So to give a bit of context, I my mother is an art valuer and art curator. So I grew up in a house full of very, you know, fine art. And there's a real, I guess, a, a real sort of pretension, I think, around art. And I studied art through school. I was always a bit put off by some of the like pompousness, I don't know if that's a word, but that kind of came with the industry and I, I I guess that kind of put me away from it. So when I started doing this, there was almost a, I just wanted to be making pieces that, you know, were were nice but didn't necessarily have to have this sort of big kind of backstory to them. But I, I'm not a painter because I think that, well, I do paint now actually, but I didn't, when I started this, I was more doing digital artwork. And I think because I've always, I've always felt my creativity is better online than like, I I just am more comfortable being creative online and whether that's, you know, kind of building WordPress sites and creating brands for those and creating, you know, social media collateral that's where I always felt happiest expressing creativity so discovering kind of creating digital artwork as I did at the start was kind of a next step in that evolution and now I've reached a point now where I actually have started painting and I'm enjoying it more and more but yeah I've kind of come at it all back to front and upside down which seems to be how I live my life so no surprises there and it, it is weird and my you know if I have had people sort of describe me or introduce me as an artist and I'm like, oh, no, 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 I own an, an e-commerce business. It's just a weird, the place our business sits is this weird kind of nexus between we're like e-commerce but we're a manufacturer as well but it's yeah. art so I'm an artist and it's this weird sort of, um, you know, to kind of pigeonhole yourself in any of those things seems to be to the detriment of the other ones. 
if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, so, that does make sense. And and obviously you've had a career before this as well, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, is it, you know, and in, in conservation and I loved that work and was always very happy to describe yeah. myself as my work in conservation and the people were like, oh, but you build websites and you paint and you do. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I know, I just can't sit still, I guess. But yeah. um, I feel like what I Heart Wall Art has done is really bring together those quite disparate, you know, bits of me and the things that I am good at and enjoy and kind of tie them all together quite neatly, which is lucky. And it was kind of a lucky find, I think, to start it in that way, you know, because it, it yeah, I sort of fluked it, I think. And then once I started, I was like, oh, yeah, this actually this works and it ties it all up together really nicely. And where it is today, you're retailing other artworks and other prints would you call it a marketplace or is it still you being very selective and curating the pieces on site? Yeah, I'm very selective um, and curate all the pieces on site. We do work with a number of artists now and it's it's purely, you know, it's a sort of profit split model after the cost of kind of manufacturing and shipping. The piece is factored out then we split what's left. But I am very careful and I, I think that that is to do with I have a very clear understanding of what the iHeartWall art brand is and what I want it to be and where I want it to keep going. And, yeah, and unless something kind of fits in with that. I mean, we have, you know, we have more than 600 pieces on the site now, so there's certainly things in there that maybe wouldn't, even though if I had to kind of condense the brand into one sentence, there would be pieces that don't fit with that. But I think our brand is clear in my head and, and the way I want our art to look and the experience that I want people to have when they buy it. So, yeah, I am quite careful with um, artists that we sort of start to work with and, and pieces that we include on the site because it'd be the easiest thing in the world to, you know, go and plug into a stock library and, and offer, you know, tens of thousands of sort of pictures of the Eiffel Tower, <laughs> but that's not what this is about, yep. so I am quite careful from that perspective. My impression from the site is that there's artwork in here that could fit into almost any Australian house but still be expressive of an individual's personality. Thank you. I think that's a really nice way of putting it. I think we try to cover off the main kind of Australian styles to an extent. I mean, I think that if I had to kind of, like it's that Hampton style that's really popular at the moment, sort of that kind of boho, that kind of earthy, kind of natural look. And we'll have stuff across those ranges. And But certainly I think the um, the point at which our, our range is very different, I think, is that a lot of the focus is on sort of nature, I think, and Australian natural kind of surroundings that we are so lucky to have in this country. So I wanted to celebrate that. And I think that if you look at a lot of other sites, they can, you know, you can see places overseas and it's not that we don't have those because we do as well because I do want to be able to you know for people to find what they're looking for if that's what they want but that's not our you know idolizing places in Europe isn't really what we're about I want people to look at our range and go like gosh we live in a beautiful country like where like let's hang it up on our walls let's instead of having a picture of the Grand Canyon, like let's put up this gorgeous picture of the outback, you know, because it's just as beautiful and it's ours. So that's really, I guess, the the crux of it. But, you know, in saying that, we do try to cater, you know, within reason for for different differing tastes and, and for the most popular styles that you find in in houses in Australia at the moment. 
What's the hardest part of transitioning a piece of art in the physical form to an online version where people feel confident that that's the piece for them? Yeah, so look, if it's an actual a painting, and a, there's a mixture on our side of photography and digital art, which has been, for anyone who's not aware, created on an iPad or computer, so it was never done as an original painting. But we do also have plenty of pieces that started life as paintings and we're now reproducing as prints, either just a standard print or a what we call a hand-finished print, which is where... Um, I kind of come in over the top and add in sort of brushstrokes and texture to the piece. So I think one of the challenges, the biggest challenges is in terms of a, a really slight maybe difference in someone's computer monitor adjustments can actually mean a big difference in colours. And if you bought a piece for the little pots of turquoise in it that you love, but, you know, then you get it and that there is a different shade of turquoise and suddenly it doesn't match your cushions or you know, that can be quite a hard one and, and we work really hard. And I actually often say to people, like, actually look at, try and look at it on a phone or an iPad because I do tend to find that they have more accurate screens in terms of colour matching. But, yeah, look, certainly, and I think too with the pieces that have started as an actual painting, sometimes people, when they order a print version of it, sort of forget that it is a print version and if you've got the brush strokes in there, it's a print of a brush stroke. It's not an actual brush stroke. So sometimes people can, you know, say, oh, well, there's no brush stroke there. It's like, yeah, but it's a print of a brush stroke, you know. So maybe need 3D printing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've been thinking that. I'm like, God, imagine if we could get a 3D printer that could, yeah, yeah give away all my grand ideas here. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so that can be hard. I think, look, my philosophy with what, we're doing here has always been to under promise and over deliver. And I want, I deliberately started doing that because I really wanted all of the reviews that we got within the first year or two of business to be really glowing as possible. So we started off pricing quite low. We've had to put our prices up because we need to pay a mortgage, but we did deliberately start quite low when we were a new business and we did deliberately produce a product that was really premium quality um, for quite a low price and yeah that really did kind of blow people away because you know they were getting these really nice solid timber frames which we still do for you know a fraction of what they were paying at other sites now it came to a point where we were like okay we're gonna have to price this more realistically particularly this year the price of timber has just gone through the roof because there's been big shortages so yeah look we have had to look at that and address that but we do price still very reasonably compared to some of the other online art retailers. So, yeah, look, I think it's just really been about trying to exceed people's expectations and for them and then really harness that kind of burst of, like, positivity they get, you know, and, like, leave a good review and um, tell your friends about it. And that's that seems to have worked really well for us so far. If you were to do it again, would you do it the same way in price really competitively and get all those positive reviews up and running so that you can get that trust and then raise the price? Or would you go in straight away with price higher? No, I, I would I would do it exactly the same way again. I think the other thing that we, you know, factored in was that actually when we started manufacturing ourselves, you know, this wasn't our profession and we wanted, you know, we're not super experienced print background. And when we started doing it ourselves, like we bought really good equipment and then we learned how to use it but 
I wanted there to be wiggle room to that we weren't charging like this really high-end price while we learned the ropes of our trade, which isn't to say that anything that has gone out of here has been shonky because actually it's been completely the opposite. My husband, who is a massive perfectionist, <laughs> you know, has just taken so much time and care with each piece that it's like, okay, come on, we've really got to step up the pace a little bit here. No, I think it's, I think it's proven to be a really good strategy um, to, to just really price low, build up that trust in the marketplace, build up those reviews, have that kind of be able to show that you're a legitimate brand with a history and then, you know, you can start to price yourself at a, at a point where because you have this body of, of happy customers who are more than, you know, willing to go on the record and vouch for you. So I wouldn't change that. We all know that feeling when items turn up damaged. Customers are upset, retailers are upset, the postie won't be able to sleep at night. No one wins. Our partners at Signet helped online stationery and invitation store Paperlust eliminate this issue by introducing a sustainable protective packaging solution that helped eliminate transit damages to zero and create a beautiful unboxing experience. Signet has over 5,500 packaging solutions that help leading e-commerce retailers step up their packaging game and helps posties sleep at night. Visit signet.net.au to find out more. I want to go back to the story. We, we kind of got to the point where you decided to move out of Brisbane and you've been featured in a lot of news articles that I read before this and you almost, we, we were discussing before the podcast, that you've almost become the poster person for the sea change lifestyle. Can you tell us how that came about and what you've created? Yeah, well, look, we I have done tree changes in my life. I did one about 10 years ago with my first husband, which was a complete disaster. Our marriage broke down fairly soon after. We had a massive unrenovated house that we then had to work out what to do with. I moved back to Brisbane as a single mum with my tail between my legs. So I feel like telling my sea change, little tree change story can kind of come from both yeah. perspectives because you know, one was a fail and the second one so far is, is a complete, you know, we just love it and would never change a thing. I think the advantage that we had was that we did it before COVID, only four months before, but it's a lot harder to do now because houses have, you know, the prices, I mean, the prices are going crazy on houses anyway, but, you know, rentals are scarce and suddenly the whole relaxed pace of life where you can kind of go and live more affordably and not have the stress I feel like some of that big city stress has kind of come, you know, as well with mm. just with that rush of people to the regions. But um, for us, I think I'll happily shout from the rooftops about what an amazing thing it's been for us and, and for our family and our children. You know, we've got an acre of sort of mostly rainforest here and they get home from school and pop on backpacks and kind of go go off and have like picnics and climb trees and just all of those things that when we were living on a 400 square meter block in the middle of Brisbane, we were like, oh, yeah. you know, this isn't quite what we wanted for our, the lifestyle for our children to be. And I think the other thing that the, the sort of tree change has kind of given us is I don't want to kind of generalise and expand our experience out to everybody because, you know, different people will have different experiences, but it really for us broke us out of, the mindset that I think we were in living in reasonably centrally Brisbane where we'd kind of fallen into this pattern where it's like, you know, 
all you think about is what your next renovation is going to be or what your next car, what car are we going to drive or what school are our kids going to go to or you kind of get without meaning to caught up into this keeping up with the Joneses and we moved out here and uh, yeah it's we're part of a small community and there's just none of that sort of and and it's for both my husband and I really changed us really quickly you know we get around town now and this sort of bombed out old ute that's falling apart and you know I couldn't care less and I think for us it's it's given us the freedom to step to walk away from well-paid secure jobs which neither of us would have done back in town because our mortgage was higher um city prices but also yeah there was that sort of pressure maybe that we were just putting on ourselves of needing to kind of keep up with the joneses whereas now we're like well we have all we need here so um we can afford to take those risks we can afford to jump into our e-commerce startup and give it everything we've got, which I don't know that we would have done had we stayed in town. Yeah. And it sounds idyllic, but you must still be really busy. Like obviously raising a young family, you've got this e-commerce business. What does a typical day look like for you? No, oh, yeah. Look, if I'm making it sound idyllic, then I'm, I'm probably failing horribly because yes, our surroundings are idyllic. Life this year has been I'm not going to swear on your podcast, but no, really, swear away. <laughs> complete. No, it's been it's been really full on. It has been really full on. We've had, I think, just the challenges of so with COVID when we started manufacturing ourselves. Also, you know, the thing about living in a small town is that we just haven't been able to find premises to move into. There just wasn't, there just literally wasn't anything to move into. So we were like, okay, well, we'll build a shed, and then we turned our rumpus room into a print room. And so for most of this year, we've had a couple of casual employees who come in a few days a week and help us out. We've had myself, my husband, we've had our kids when they're not at school or daycare. We've had my father-in-law who got kind of stranded here due to COVID. We've had my mother who's been on a few extended trips here for sort of similar reasons. So most days it's like the house is kind of like, you know, Grand Central Station and there's just people kind of coming, couriers coming and going all the time with deliveries and picking up you know, shipments and dropping off stock. And it, it certainly has not been the idyllic kind of year that we envisaged <laughs> when we first thought about the tree change. But I think we're grateful that in a time when so many people were really struggling, you know, at least in Queensland, we've been spared most of the lockdowns and we haven't had to keep our kids home, which has definitely been an advantage for us. We've been able to send them to school and, and kindy through the year. But, yeah, look, it's been a typical day is anything like this morning, for example, I woke up at 6.30 and came and uh, started painting because I had to hand finish a bunch of canvases that had to go out today. I was meant to do it last night, but I've had a bit of a cold thing and so I just I went to bed at 7.30. I was like, I just can't actually face the thought of doing them. So it's like out of bed this morning painting. Maria, who does our shipping and framing, got here at, you know, 8 and I was there with the hairdryer like trying to dry the paint off them so she could pack them and ship them and then it's like trying to get the kids out the door to school and kindy and yeah careers kind of coming and going I still do all of the um, customer service for the business so then I kind of go get on the computer and do customer service emails we process outsourced orders we make sure try and order stock it's all sounding really controlled when I talk about it like this. Like it's just it's actually generally anything. It just sounds like a different type of chaos. It's a it's yeah, it's a big type of chaos most days. Um, 
And, yeah, so that's kind of what it looks like. I mean, my husband has just started doing some shifts again at the hospital. I think we just reached a point where we we trained up enough of the our casual workers here that we were like, okay, he can get a bit of a break because, you know, certainly doing this is not his dream. He was just kind of thrust into it and handed a, a mitre saw last year. <laughs> so, yeah, he's kind of back at the hospital, um, which is good for him to kind of get some time out. He's very much an extrovert, so kind of being at home 24-7, with his wife was starting to <laughs> eat away at him a little. But, yeah, look, it's it's always chaos and there's always there's always something goes wrong. Like, and, yeah. You know, just when you think you've organised everything, then suddenly, like today, we had, you know, have everything printed and all the frames were made and Maria was going to frame this afternoon and realised that we'd run out of D-rings, which are like the little kind of, you know, things that you put the yeah. framing wire into. And we'd ordered them, but... They hadn't arrived with the shipment. And there's just always a problem that needs to be solved. And and I think that's any startup, right? You know, you're always going to have to wear a lot of hats and you're always going to be the person that everyone kind of comes to when they need a problem fixed and it's up to you to fix it, you know, because it's it's your business, it's your baby. And, mm. and that can actually, particularly I think with the family, and it can be really exhausting. And one of the lessons for me that, I have to learn, I haven't learned it yet, is to actually just try it. And this is like going to be my resolution for next year, but to actually just try and take time out because I've worked, you know, seven days a week all year, um, as is my husband, and it is exhausting and it's not sustainable, I think, for really long, long term. You have to, at some point, have built the systems or built the team to be able to step back a bit and take a breath. I think it's the hardest part for most founders is actually knowing when to take that break. Yeah, I think that's it. And I, I know it, and it's hard because you have to learn to loosen, give up, relinquish a bit of control. And that's really the hardest part because I'll, I'll see, you know, someone doing something and I'm like, oh, I could do it differently. And I'm really happy that we've got, you know, this team of casuals and we hired people who, like us, had really limited experience, but we hired based on personality. We hired because we are home-based and we have two young kids kind of running around, we really wanted um, people in our space who we, we liked and who, we, you know, we just felt we could trust kind of coming and going from our house. They have keys to our house, you know, both of them now. We're not here. They come into the house, you know, turn the coffee machine on, fire up the printer and go. So finding that, you know, uh, that was more important to us than hiring really skilled people. But, you know, the flip side of that is... We've got to bring them up to speed as well in an, in an industry that, you know, we're still learning. So, yeah, look, it, it's been a chaos. I think organised chaos would be overstating it, to be honest. I think it's just been chaos for most of the year. But I'm hopeful that we've ironed out. In fact, I know that we've ironed out a lot of the kinks in the operation to, to kind of hopefully have a smoother year next year. Brilliant. I love the line on your website when you talk about having people in your house. You've got that line on the website that you don't allow in-person pickups for your customers because we don't feel like whippersnippering the driveway every time someone comes to collect their artwork. I really should take that off the website, actually. It sounds really unfriendly. Oh, I really like it. I think it sounds personal. It's great. Well, I think we live in as rainforest and as we discovered after we moved to a little patch of rainforest is you have to work really hard to against the rainforest, which is constantly trying to reclaim your house from under you. Like you turn your back for a, a week and there's a vine kind of growing in through a window and we live in an area of like really high rainfall. It's up in the mountains. We're constantly kind of 
foggy and it just turns into a jungle within minutes, you know, the second that it's, which and it's frequently neglected because we haven't had a lot of time. So, you know, when we first built the studio and kind of had it here, people were sort of were turning up on kind of weekends and just kind of peering in through our windows and things. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so we we have solved that problem now. We've just signed a lease on a um, a space in town, and we'll be able to have a bit more of a separation between the workspace here in the backyard and that studio space that we have in town. Yeah, nice, nice. Now, we're running out of time, but I really wanted to touch on your SEO because it feels like you do SEO phenomenally well. Like you are up there for some really competitive terms like Wall Art Australia alongside the big players like Temple and Webster and Zanui. What are your tips for getting that SEO really early for those key, key terms? Yeah, so I come from a background, as we said, of communications and, and writing has always been my particular lean. So that is an obvious advantage. I was doing freelance content writing over the years. So that obviously has helped and that's a skill that not everyone may have themselves. But I don't think that that actually has been the core part. I think what we've always done differently is, for a start, I put the the main keywords that we wanted to rank for in the title of the business. Um, We called it I Heart Wall Art and Wall Art is, you know, really our number one key term. So that was one strategy. But I think, look, I could give a few really practical tips, which are, you know, with every product, take the time to write a unique description, write something from scratch, make it descriptive and make it structure it in a way that you would want the information presented to you if you were the customer. Take the time to put your alt text on your images. And I think, something that's made a huge difference for us is naming each image as we upload them based on the keywords that someone might use if they were looking for that image. So instead of, say, product name, image four, I'll name each image, you know, abstract artwork of ocean and and just trying to really be mindful of using keywords in your image titles, in your product titles and, and descriptions without sort of stuffing them in there. That's the thing that I think we've done differently and I think I have an agency who run my ads for me and they're constantly trying to, well, they do give very good SEO advice but they're, you know, always saying to me like you don't have enough backlinks, you need to get more backlinks. And I say, well, I know, don't have many backlinks but we still seem to be doing really well and, and the only thing that I can think that sort of sets us apart is that time, and there's no shortcut to it, you know, there's no kind of magic button or app that you can kind of plug in that's going to suddenly kind of get you to page one. It literally has just been a whole lot of legwork and, and writing good descriptions, clear descriptions, making sure that your website is linked. So, you know, under each print I'll have, you know, you can buy this as a stretched canvas. Click here to read what a stretched canvas is. or So making sure that it's just laid out in a way that is really accessible and something that we always, you know, used to say in comms and the media industries, you need to write like you're writing for someone in about year nine. Like that's actually the level that you should be presenting your information because it's clear, it's accessible. If someone's in a hurry, they can read it easily. And so I think, yeah, using that kind of approach of really kind of starting from scratch, writing clear descriptions with useful relevant information and just going that extra mile and naming all your images like use think of what people would be punching into google 
when you would want your image or product to come up and use that in your titles. And also just using, I use Shopify. I think, you know, WordPress is very similar with um, some of the apps you can plug in, but just using that kind of SEO bit down the bottom, using your keywords in your URLs without stuffing them, but just being kind of descriptive, giving Google as much information to work with as possible. And, you know, that's the only thing I can think of that's actually allowed us to get to where we are. That's the thing that we've done differently and well, I think. So I can only assume that that it, it matters to Google quite quite significantly to kind of have that information clearly uh, presented. Yeah. I noticed on your email, your email is iheartart.com.au, but your website's iheartwallart.com.au and iheartart redirects to iheartwallart. Was yes. that deliberately just to go after that wall art term? Yeah. So when I started the business, I called it iHeartArt. And then I had a chat with a friend who works, you know, who has a good SEO brain. And, you know, he said, well, like, what's the keywords that you want to be up there for? I said, well, I guess wall art. You know, I think art itself implies more fine art. So actually sort of original paintings from um, independent artists, whereas wall art is a sort of more widely used term for prints. So I changed the name of the business. I really need to change the email. I know (laughs) that's raised. I'm like, oh, God, I haven't done that yet. I reckon most people wouldn't notice it, would they? Uh, No, they don't. But the only problem is when someone, you know, writes hello at iHeartWallArt and it doesn't actually reach us. So it is on my list of things to do. It's just kind of fallen (laughs) by the wayside this year. Um, But, yeah, look, absolutely, you know, just kind of thinking from the, the word go, from the time you name the business, like what are the words that we want to be up there for and, you know, you're not going to be able to name, get all of the, the keywords, all the right ones. But, you know, we just went with a kind of pun on rhymes, I Heart Wall Art. It's kind of memorable. It's cute. It's got the keywords in there. So that's what we sort of ended up using. Yeah, great. Now, I can't let you go without asking about personal selections for art. We've just renovated our house and we feel really grown up because we've actually bought our first piece of artwork. Like, we're like oh, we've reached that adult stage mm-hmm. where we're not buying Ikea prints anymore. What's, what's your tip for helping people find their style and selecting art that suits them? Yeah, look, I think we get, I get a lot of people emailing and kind of asking that or similar questions to that. And I think that the thing that I always say is, just find something you love. Like I, I feel like it's so easy to shop on trend and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And certainly, you know, I've talked about how our collections are structured around, you know, trends at the moment, like, you know, it's kind of the boho, that kind of earthy sort of look. And that's that's great. But if you're going to make a significant investment, you don't want to be having to sort of change it in five years time because that, you know, that sort of trend has passed. So I think Find something that speaks to you. I think find something that has a meaning for you. And I think that's why a lot of the sort of nature art that we have is really popular because it has personal meaning for people. You know, they can connect with, you know, a picture of a a cockatoo or, you know, a sort of print of a, a eucalypt forest. That has personal meaning for people and it reminds them of a place or a time or a childhood or and, and 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 that's going to outlast you know trends and and I think the other thing I would say too and I often do say this to customers is you don't have to decorate your house to a a style like I think it's so easy to fall into this trap of you know and I get it customers a lot who are like well we're doing Hamptons and so everything has to be blue and white and I had one customer once who 
actually made me change the colour of a pelican's beak to blue because she said, well, I'm doing Hampton, so the beak can't be yellow. And I said, but, like, it looks it looks like a, it's like a zombie. It looks like a zombie pelican. You can't make the pelican's beak blue. <laughs> she was, like, completely rigid in her belief that nothing that wasn't blue and white could be in her house. So the pelican had to be completely blue and white. So it did end up looking like this sort of, like, necrotic kind of zombie <laughs> pelican. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's her house and that's her decision and, and if she loves it then, you know, more power to her. But I think particularly if art uh, isn't your background or and it's it's not my background but it's easy to think like, okay, well, I really love this trend that's around now so I, I know it's safe if I buy everything that's kind of that trend and it's going to look good. But I think you don't be afraid, afraid to just buy a piece because you love it or you love the yeah. colour or you love a cockatoo, you love kookaburras, you know, like. I think just make your space a reflection of who you are as a person and who you are as a family and, and your lives and your life stories. It's beautiful. Great advice. Now, what is next for yourself, Edwina, and I Heart Wall Art? Oh, that is a big question. <laughs> um, look, I think what's next for myself is a break over Christmas because it has been a long time coming. But I think next year... Yeah, we've got some some plans, big plans in place, I think, to really start ramping up for our business. We want to start working with a lot more commercial clients. We've started recently working with more resorts and uh, holiday chains and things who are looking for, you know, that Australian kind of nature theme in their spaces. We have that and we can provide it at a, at a good price and it's good quality. So I think for us that that'll be a big driver next year. But, you know, I'd also like to start offering more personalised options to our range. So I'm not going to give too much away, but we've got a few ideas kind of around sort of changing up the some of the ranges for next year. But, yeah, look, I think um, getting into that commercial space more and, and partnering with more commercial art providers would be a great sort of next move for us. So, yeah, after hopefully a couple of nice weeks off, that'll be where I'll be pushing it next year. Perfect. And now if anyone's listening to this and go, I'd love to get in touch, what's the best way to do so? Just jump onto the website, which is iheartwallart.com.au and there's contact links all over it. So you can contact us through there. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, many ways. Or in Mulaney. If you're in Mulaney, you can pop in and see us in the shop very soon. Beautiful. No need to whip a snip either. No need to whip a snip. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Edwina, thank you so much for joining us on the Add to Cart. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Did it make you want to pack everything up and go and live out in the country? No, me neither. But it did make me want to put up some good art on my walls finally. Love the chat. There were three really great takeaways from Edwina that I want to highlight. The first... I loved when Edwina said that running a dropshipping site is a good way to get a feel for online business without having to commit to the lot and all the risk of product and inventory. I've never thought of it that way, but it's a great way to learn e-commerce. Like dropshipping gets a really bad name, but if used right, potentially could be your way in. Number two, by keeping pricing low when starting out, you can build trust and collect amazing reviews. It keeps expectations where they need to be and you can gradually bring your prices up down the track. Number three, to get the best SEO, get descriptive. 
give Google as much information as possible. Edwina put key terms into her company name. She also takes the time to write unique descriptions and alt text on her product images, naming each image and uploading them based on keywords a customer might search for is paying dividends. It's a lot of work, but pays off in the long term, as you saw by Edwina and iHeart Art. To finish up, I have three resources for you. Firstly, if you're a first-time listener of Add to Cart and you want to stay up to date with new episodes, head over to addtocart.com.au and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. We'll let you know every time a new episode drops, as well as giving you my three takeaways from each episode and a link to the transcripts so you can know that this is an episode that you want to dive straight into. Secondly, if you want a weekly roundup of the best e-commerce case studies, tools, and research, sign up to the High Five Friday newsletter, which is delivered to inboxes at 8 a.m. every Friday morning. I read all the e-commerce news and send you the bits that I think you can take action from. Sign up at 12high12high.com.au forward slash high five. And the last thing, if you are looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, head over to esuitetalent.com.au. We are a dedicated e-commerce talent agency connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands. Check it out, sign up to the email and get in touch with me if you want to discuss your next move. Until next time, thanks for listening and keep those customers adding to cart. Cart.